0: What's up, everybody? This is Mike with Singing for Survival, the Kapura History podcast, and I'm back today with finally the second episode of 2023, uh, which is all going to be about Paranaue. So, Paranaue is a song that everybody knows, and I've definitely been singing for a very long time, Um, and I think think like most people, I've had some vague idea of what the song is about, Um, but have never really taken the time to, uh, to really dig into it. Um, which is interesting because this is arguably the most popular and well-known song in Capoeira, probably the most well-known Capoeira song outside of the art even. Um, I mean, it's a song that people sing as a joke when they can tell people around them don't know what song is happening. Um, but what is it really that we're singing about? Um, and if you, if you were to just take a cursory look at the lyrics, it honestly isn't that clear. The verses are often improvised for situational relevance, uh, and even the standard verses seem at best oblique references to something. So for those who have asked the question of what is this song even about in the past, you're probably told it had to do with the, uh, the war that Brazil fought with Paraguay that Caporistas fought in. Um, but what do we really know about this war with Paraguay? Why is it so relevant? And why has this song, out of all of the other ones, become so well-known? Um, these are the questions that I wanted to dig into going into this episode. Um, and I have to say, it took me in a lot of really interesting places. It definitely took me far deeper into South American history than I, than I had even expected. Um, and there's some really surprising turns and, and revelations along the way. So I really, really enjoyed doing the, the research for this episode. Um, and I, th- I hope that you will, too, as we take a really deep dive into Paranoe and the War of the Triple Alliance. So Before we get started, I want to make a quick side note. There has been some debate in the past about whether this song is Paranawe or Paranae, and I'm not particularly interested in that distinction here. From what I can tell, people have sung this song both ways for a very long time, and it's likely a case of the oral tradition of this song bifurcating, where some groups Sing it one way, and then it gets taught to their students, and you have kind of like two diverging paths. Um, and it's it's not to say that one is really the correct way to say uh, or to sing this song. It seems to be that there's just multiple versions today that that some groups will even just alternate between. So for simplicity's sake, I will try to stay consistent throughout this episode in just saying para na no so to touch back on the the introduction, the general understanding of the meaning of this song is that it relates to a war that Brazil had with Paraguay. So my main interest in today's episode is to really dig into that conflict and get both important background and contextual information on the war, uh, so that we can understand what its impl- implications were on, south american history brazilian history and how that intertwines with the development uh, and the history of the people that would develop capoeira so so far i keep saying a war between brazil and paraguay so what war are we actually talking about well this is a conflict in the mid 1800s that is known uh, either as the paraguayan war or the war of the triple alliance in which Brazil allied with Argentina and Uruguay fought a devastating war against the smaller nation of Paraguay. This had insane devastating impacts on the population of Paraguay and really altered the course of history for both that nation uh, and Brazil. Um, This was the bloodiest conflict in South American history um, and is a really crucial stepping stone in the development of those, uh, of those nations as, uh, as independent nations in themselves. So I want to take a step even farther back and talk about some of the reasons and the things that led up to the conflict. And then we'll go through and understand a little bit more of the conduct of the war the aftermath of the war, and what impact that had on not just Brazilians, not just the the, the nation and development of Brazil, but also specifically the, uh, the Afro-Brazilians that would be developing Capoeira both at this time and later on in history. So to start this discussion, I think it's really important that we have a good contextual understanding of the the state of South America in general at the time that the conflict broke up. And to really understand that, we have to go way back to the beginning of the colonization of South America. So in the 1400s, as Spain and Portugal were colonizing what they were calling the New World, um, a treaty was signed uh, by the Pope, the Treaty of Tordesillas, in 1494, that effectively split South America between the two nations. Uh, That's why you see a number of nations in South America that speak Spanish, and essentially only Brazil that uh, speaks Portuguese. Uh, It's because there was basically a line drawn on the map uh, where Spain gets all the land on this side of the line, Portugal gets all the land on this side of the line. So Initially, this was effective in um, settling some of the territorial disputes between the two nations, but as time went on uh, and the, the new colonial nations uh, started to develop and vie for their own uh, autonomy, uh, this would prove ineffective. As time went on, various treaties were made to try to solve these disputes uh, we have the Treaty of Madrid in 1750. We have the Treaty of San Ildefonso in 1777. Uh, the Treaty of Badajoz in 1801. But still, disputes were continuing. And it, it may be hard to understand why there were so many disputes at this time, uh, but if you think about how these nations were, were structuring themselves, know this is still pretty early in development of these uh, new colonial nations Um, and around this time period you basically have these uh, population centers and then wide swaths of land uh, in between them that are largely uh, uninhabited and largely uh, uncharted so there's a lot of uncertainty as to what is even in the land in between your population centers so it can kind of make a little more sense why there's going to be a lot of disputes as to exactly where uh, someone's territory uh, ends and another's begins. So these disputes continue, and in the early 1810s, the viceroyalty of Rio de la Plata fell. This viceroyalty was the Spanish Empire's colonial government uh, all across South America, uh, and partially because of the Napoleonic wars that were going on at the time, uh, and partially because the nations uh, in South America were, uh, were vying for their own independence, uh, this Spanish government fell. This resulted in the independence of Argentina, Paraguay, Bolivia, and Uruguay, roughly in that order. Uh, this led to even more territorial disputes, uh, between the newly independent nations uh, with Brazil and Argentina being the primary hegemons especially after Brazil gains its own independence in 1822 so now we have a lot of turmoil starting in South America really across the entire continent we have these all of these new nations that are just recently gaining their independence and as they grow into themselves as nations. There's a lot of political unrest. There's a lot of churn uh, in how the country is going to be led, what parties are going to be leading. Uh, so you're we're setting the stage for a continent that is already very uh, politically volatile. So now we can get into uh, Brazil's relationship with Paraguay and also the other Uh, adjacent nations. So interestingly, Brazil was the first nation to acknowledge Paraguayan independence in 1844. Uh, And they even helped develop their army and build up their fortifications against the common enemy of Argentina. So Brazil sees Argentina as a rival, as the other major hegemon in in the continent. So they acknowledge Uh, Paraguay as their own nation, whereas Argentina saw them only as a breakaway state, uh, and effectively helped them build up so they could act as a buffer state in between them and Argentina. So this continues until the 1850s, where Brazil starts being even more overt in its political interventions uh, in nearby countries, Uh, and here we're talking about specifically Uruguay, so Uruguay is going under its own political turmoil and in, in, in having essentially a near-civil war between its two main political parties, uh, the Blancos and the, the Colorados. And this conflict that was happening in Uruguay was even spilling over a bit into the, uh, the Brazilian border, uh, leading to some border skirmishes in 1864. After some of these border skirmishes, the Brazilian minister started to demand payment from Uruguay for damages, uh, and even brought the the threat of retaliation if those if those payments weren't weren't made. The party from which Brazil was demanding uh, compensation from were the current ruling Blanco Party, uh, who, as a side note, was favorable to Paraguay. Uh, and the competing uh, political force in the nation was the Colorados, which was more favorable to the Brazilian government. So naturally, the president at the time uh, of Paraguay, Francisco Solano López, who we'll be talking a lot about, had expressed strong repudiations against because they saw it as an attack against their ally. Uh, But nevertheless... On October 12, 1864, Brazil ignored Paraguay and invaded Uruguay. Note that this was not the start of the Paraguayan War. Diplomatic relations continued between Brazil and Paraguay until November 11th, when Paraguayan President Solano López ordered the capture of the governor of Mato Grosso and subsequently invaded that province. Now, at first this may seem that Brazil was fighting a war on two fronts, Uh, where they're still involved in the uh, civil war in Uruguay and now Paraguay is invading uh, but Uruguay was quickly defeated in early 1865 and brought under Brazilian influence with the Colorado Party. Shortly before Uruguay was defeated Solano Lopez wanted to march his troops into Uruguay to help his political allies there but doing so would have required crossing Argentine territory, the Corrientes. After being denied permission from Argentina to cross peacefully, Solano Lopez ordered his troops to invade that territory as well, uh, crossing the River Paraná as he did, capturing the provincial capital, and seizing warships anchored in port. So now we have Paraguay invading Mato Grosso in Brazil, and also invading Argentina's Corrientes province, Uh, And this essentially united those nations against uh, Paraguay. So on May 1st, 1865, Brazil, Argentina, and Uruguay signed the secret treaty of the Triple Alliance to unify their forces against Paraguay and vowing to never lay down their arms until they toppled Paraguay's leader. This would mark the real start of the Paraguayan War, the War of the Triple Alliance the most bloody conflict in South American history. So now that we've set the stage with talking about the political realities uh, around the start of the conflict, let's dig into a little bit of how the conflict evolved and how it eventually was settled. So at first, it might seem strange that three countries would need to unite against the one small nation of Paraguay. But as compared to other South American nations, Paraguay was significantly more militarized. Paraguay's population at the time was less than 500,000 as compared to Brazil's 11 million, but Paraguay had a standing army more than twice the size of Brazil's at 70,000 men. Inspired by their leader Solano López, the Paraguayan army secured many early victories in both Brazil and Argentina, even though many of their soldiers lacked some basic supplies. Soon after these early victories, however, Brazil began to flex naval power and isolated the Paraguayan economy by blockading the Rio de la Plata, which the Rio Paraná is a tributary to. This, in turn, would lead to the largest naval battle in the history of South America, the Battle of Riachuelo. On June 11, 1865, the Paraguayan navy launched what was intended as a surprise attack against the blockading Brazilian ships on the Rio Paraná. According to the plan, The Paraguayans would arrive before sunrise and board the Brazilian ships while they lay in anchor with most of their crew on land. However, the Paraguayan navy was delayed in starting their mission, then arriving at the location just after sunrise. Because of this delay, the admiral leading the attack decided to ignore his orders and open fire on the ships as soon as they were in range. This inflicted some damage to the Brazilian Navy, but also alerted them to the attack and allowed their crews to get back aboard and return fire. Even though the plan had fallen apart at this point, the Paraguayans were still able to take advantage of the chaotic situation to inflict heavy losses on the Brazilians who were still struggling to get organized. In an act of desperation, the Brazilian Admiral Francisco Bajoso rammed the Paraguayan line with his larger steam frigate crushing several Paraguayan ships under bow and allowing the Brazilians to gain the upper hand. The battle ended with 11 Paraguayan vessels sunk and the Brazilian navy chasing the remainder down the river. This was a major turning point in the war and would lead to the Triple Alliance pushing Solana López out of the Corrientes back into the Paraguayan homeland. The next stage of the war would be the invasion of Paraguay. But the Triple Alliance knew they would need a significantly larger military force to topple Salado Lopez. Without having a real military industrial base, this meant conscription. And due to Brazil's population breakdown at the time, this meant large numbers of enslaved Africans were made to serve in the war. We'll talk about this more later, and not all of the Africans who served in the war were conscripted, many actually joined uh, uh, voluntarily. But for right now, it's important to recognize that Brazil was pulling heavily from its enslaved population to try to win this war. So having prepared their forces, on April 16th, 1866, the Allied armies invaded the Paraguayan mainland by crossing the Rio Paraná. Here the Allied forces won some early, though extremely costly victories at Teuti and Curuzu, which put a lot more pressure on Solano López. Under this pressure, Solano López tried to vie for peace with uh, the Argentinian president. However, facing the uh, terms of an unconditional surrender, Solano López refused and returned to war. It's important to note here that this is sometimes uh, cast as Solano López uh, not being serious about peace, but this situation is a little bit more complicated. In truth, Argentina really had no power to offer peace to Solana Lopez due to the terms of the, uh, the treaty of the triple Alliance. So it's not, it's not clear that this was a real meaningful, uh, promise of peace from Argentina. And it's possible Solano Lopez was aware of this. So, this, this seems more like a distraction than anything else, um, and the return to war was, was pretty much inevitable uh, due to the agreements between the nations that were involved in the Triple Alliance. So the Allies continued their advance until they hit a massive defeat at Curupaiti, where the Brazilian-Argentine army suffered over 8,000 casualties and had their advance halted for 10 months. This devastating loss would lead to a new commander of the Allied forces, the Duke of Casillas, who was a veteran officer and who had changed the course of the war. For almost a year, Casillas suspended offensive operations in order to re-equip and retrain his troops while improving their overall health and hygiene to put an end to epidemics that were killing thousands of their men. It's important to note here that combat at this time, especially in the area that we're talking about is, is not, the casualties we're talking about are not just focused on the, the physical, you know, gunfire, cannon fire related, uh, deaths. There's huge amounts of casualties that are related to disease, uh, poor health, exhaustion, starvation, really the conditions that these, these people were fighting in were pretty, Horrible, and that's on both sides of the conflict, both Paraguay and uh, the 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 forces of the Triple Alliance. So, Cashias taking the time to improve the health and hygiene of the um, uh, of his of his forces was a pretty massive step and would ha- would have really big impacts on the rest of their conduct of the war. So, on the other side of the conflict. Solana Lopez took advantage of this lull in combat to reinforce and reorganize his his army around the fortress of Humaitá. Humaitá was a a key fortress as it blocked access to the Paraguayan capital of Asuncion as well as the still-occupied Mato Grosso. It was located on a sharp horseshoe bend in the River Paraguay, an advantageous spot to defend against naval attacks. In addition, a massive chain stretched across the river to trap ships in front of the 6,000-foot line of artillery batteries uh, hosted in the fortress. So for, for people with some experience in Kapura music, you might have something going off in the back of your mind at the mention of this fortress. I certainly did, uh, and we're going we're gonna to talk about that later. But for now, remember this name. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about it, and then we'll get into it later. But the Siege of Humaita could make up its own episode, and I highly encourage you all to read more into it because it's really fascinating from just a purely military history perspective. Uh, For example, this siege was the first use of aviation in South American warfare, uh, and that was balloon observation, hot air balloon observation. But today, I'll just talk about some of the major points. This siege lasted more than two years, primarily due to how well fortified the Paraguayan position was, as well as their knowledge of the land and terrain. It was only defeated with a combination of a very long flanking march around the defenses of the fortress, and a daring run of ships past that artillery line. The Allied navy took down the chain blocking the river, and raced their ships all the way past the fortress to begin assaulting the capital of Asuncion. By land, troops encircled Humaitá, Leading to the retreat of Solano Lopez as well as his generals, and the eventual defeat of the fortress. Per the agreement of the Triple Alliance, Humaita was destroyed and nothing like it would ever be built again in Paraguay. The fall of Humaita would signal the real beginning of the end for Solano Lopez. Following the retreat from the fortress, Caxias executed his Desembrada offensive which allowed him to encircle the remaining Paraguayan forces, scoring decisive victories and leading to Solana López barely escaping with his life and his, his key officers. This would lead to a period of guerrilla warfare as the alliance had captured Asuncion and left Solana López on the run. The war finally came to an end on March 1st, 1870, when Solano López was attacked and killed by a pursuing Brazilian detachment. Famously, Solana López was offered a chance to surrender and replied, Muero con mi patria, I die with my country, and attacked with his sword. So with the death of Solano López, so ended the bloodiest conflict in Latin American history. However, the effects of this conflict on both Brazil and Paraguay would be dramatic and very long-lasting. Oh, hey. Oh, hey. Via vivia nas terras de Angola quando o senhor me capturou. mais um nosso grande rei negro lá de cativeiro ele me libertou. Sou eu, Maitá, sou eu. Sou eu, Maitá, sou, sou, sou eu. Sou eu, Maitá, sou eu. Dentro do grande navio negreiro nós eram humilhados e também maltratados. Aqueles que ficassem. This war was absolutely devastating for Paraguay and its people. The country is estimated to have lost up to 69% of its population, 90% of those deaths being men, leaving a man-to-woman ratio of 1-4 to in many areas. Like we talked about before, these deaths were not just due to direct conflict, but also illness, hunger, and physical exhaustion. This would have a massive effect on the economy and development of the nation and even had social impacts due to the massive loss of the male population. Paraguay had a pro-Brazilian government installed in 1869 and was occupied by the Brazilian army until 1876. On top of that, Paraguay maintained a high debt of war with the allied countries. That lasted all the way up until 1943 when, still not being completely paid, it was pardoned by the Brazilian president, Getúlio Vargas. The effects of this war on Paraguay were massive and persist to the current day, even in cultural attitudes about Brazil. This war was also very impactful on Brazil, helping the empire reach its peak of political influence in Latin America. However, this came at the cost of a huge public debt which would severely limit the growth of the nation in the years to come. This debt, in addition to the general public attitudes about the conflict souring over the course of the war, would contribute to the fall of the Brazilian Empire, and, as we'll talk about in just a little, the eventual abolition of slavery. Before we move on to talk about why this war is important to Capoeira history, I want to talk a bit about the controversies surrounding it and its modern interpretations. The Paraguayan War is a hotly debated topic amongst historians, principally surrounding who was the real instigator of the conflict. Some people see Solano Lopez as a wannabe Napoleon whose dreams of a Grand Paraguay drove the conflict with his neighbors. Others see it as Paraguay's struggle for autonomy and independence in the face of imperialism from both Brazil and Argentina. I've done my best in the previous section to present a complete uh, and nuanced picture of the conflict from its beginnings in the independence of those South American nations, and I do think that there is some blame on uh, both sides of the conflict for its start. It is absolutely true that Brazil was very aggressively trying to expand its influence in South America, and its military intervention into Uruguay is a prime example of that it's totally understandable that Paraguay would have anxieties about preserving its independence as border disputes and general political instability continued uh, through the area. And you can see this coming to a head when Paraguay sees the conflicts in its its neighbor and its ally in Uruguay being resolved by Brazil in a way that's less uh, favorable to Paraguay. However, Solana López is not without blame here. Comparisons between him and Napoleon, though I think kind of hyperbolic, are not entirely unfounded. He was the son of the previous uh, president of Paraguay, and in his youth, he spent a year and a half in Europe as an envoy. There, he was heavily influenced and inspired by both French and Prussian military organizational structures. It's posited that his heavy militarization of Paraguay was inspired at least in part by his admiration of the French Empire and, in particular, Napoleon. In addition, Solana López was perhaps overconfident due to how difficult Paraguay was to invade and the perceived invincibility of the fortress of Humaitá, leading him to overreach into the Corrientes. So you have kind of two major contributing factors here, I think. You know, Paraguay has legitimate concerns about its autonomy and independence as the larger hegemons in the region are starting to expand their reach, are starting to influence their neighbors, in some cases more aggressively, and then on top of that, Solana López was perhaps overly zealous and overconfident and led him to uh, to overextend his forces, uh, really overreach what their capabilities would be, and led to a lot of death and suffering for his people. In any case, this war and Solana Lopez himself remain extremely controversial through this day. I've tried to present a as complete and nuanced view of both him and the conflict as as i can here um there's a lot of additional information around this that i'm really not digging that far into Uh, and it's really just i see it as a bit outside the scope for the discussion for today so there's um, there's criticisms about the employing of the elderly and uh and women and children by the Paraguayan military during uh, the the invasion phase of the conflict. Uh, and, and there's a lot that maybe can be dug into there, but I, I want to leave that for more intricate discussions on the conflict itself, uh, just the conflict of itself. And instead, I want to just give a broad picture of the, the conditions around this conflict so we can understand that and then see how it affects uh, specifically Afro-Brazilian and Capoeira-related history so that we can tie that back to our songs today. But as always, I encourage you listeners to share your opinions on this conflict with me, especially folks with roots in South America, uh, to to really help me complete my own uh, cultural picture on the conflict as a whole. So don't hesitate, especially if you think I'm wrong about something. Uh, My my inbox is always open. Send me a message. I'm more than happy to uh, to look at new information. So now the next question is, how does this war relate directly to the people who were developing Capoeira at the time, namely the enslaved Afro-Brazilian people? As we talked about previously, Paraguay was significantly more militarized than any of the other members of the Triple Alliance at the outset of the war. To make up for this discrepancy, the Brazilian government began to create quote-unquote black-only units called Zuavos. The Zuavos were a pretty attractive option for enslaved Africans, since it made it pretty difficult for them to be returned to slavery uh, after the war was over, Uh, However, this doesn't mean that all of them were voluntary, many were also forcibly recruited. In 1876, the military became more integrated as black-only units were no longer permitted, uh, likely due to fear of organization, but afro brazilians still made up a very large portion of the fighting forces. Afro-Brazilian women also played a major role in the fighting effort, serving as vivanderas, Vivendeiras performed logistical tasks in the war camps and were critical to keeping the fighting forces functional, uh, even though the Brazilian government worked actively to downplay the contributions of these women. So we can see that a large portion of not just the fighting force, but even the support staff of the military effort were made up of the Afro-Brazilian population of Brazil. Um however there was an even larger effect on that population in the aftermath of the war much like other nations with large institutional slavery at the time such as the united states the recruitment of the uh, the afro-brazilian the black population into the war effort undermined the institution of slavery itself so in trying to recruit for the war effort Brazil compensated slave owners who freed their slaves on the condition that they immediately enlist. Many enslaved Africans also took advantage of the war to escape and join the war effort, making it very difficult for them to be impressed back into slavery. So, much like what happened in the United States, these conditions severely undermined the entire institution of slavery in Brazil and would contribute to its abolition in 1888. So now that we've set the context for what this conflict even was and how the uh, both enslaved and formerly enslaved Africans were involved in the conflict, um, the next question is, so what does this song actually mean? Now, the whole reason that we took a dive into the Paraguayan War is that the most common interpretation of the song is that it's a tribute to the people who fought in that war uh, and that it may come from a military march song from that conflict. The Rio Parana was a pivotal location in the Paraguayan War and I tried to point out uh, the many times where that river came into play as we went through the breakdown of the conflict itself. So Solana Lopez's army had to cross the Rio Paraná in order to invade the Corrientes, the Battle of Riachuelo happened on this river, and the Allied forces had to cross the river to invade Paraguay after their military was pushed out of Argentinian land. Many of the most crucial and bloody battles of the war were fought in the vicinity of either this river or one of its tributaries. And considering this war was very important to the history of Africans in Brazil, as we uh, just talked about, and many formerly enslaved Afro-Brazilians were enlisted in these battles, it's clear that this river would have a huge importance to the people that were developing Capoeira. What's interesting is that, for the most part, the lyrics of the verses do not clearly reference either the war or fighting, though some of them can be interpreted as kind of oblique references. So many of those verses are improvised, uh, or... You know, situational, but the ones that are more standard are things like here I am not loved but in my land I am I'm going to tell my wife, capoeira saved or won me depending on your interpretation uh, and I'm leaving this land, here I'll never return it's possible that some of these uh, are in fact references to uh, either going away for war or the conduct of war. Um, but it's it's a bit hard to, to to parse that. So there's still some question marks left as to why these are the verses that become the more standard one uh, in, you know, in light of all of the other improvisation that happens with this with this song. There is another story on the development of this song that I found particularly interesting, though it was pretty confusing at the same time. The Angola Roots research team, led by Dr. Matias Asanson, has an interview with Gerano, who claims to be the inventor of the modern Paranawe adaptation. In this interview, he says previously Paranawe was a military march song, but he adapted it one day in the 1960s in uh, Mestri Artur Emidius academy. According to him, Mestri Barana, who usually led the batterio, was late one day, and Messi Gerano improvised this version in frustration to poke fun at him. This makes a bit of sense with the way that the song is sung today, in that much of the verses are improvised or changed based on context within the hoda, as I've kind of been bringing up a couple times. This story is perhaps contradicted by an earlier 1955 recording of Messi Waldemar, where he is singing the Parana way with the melodic or the modern melodic structure. It's possible this is a case of mistaken timelines. Uh, Messi Gerano's story could have happened earlier than he's quoted. Um, to add further confusion, the uploader of the video of the research team says that there is no contradiction with the timeline and that Gerano is just saying that he made new verses for the song for the situation but in the video, him and Messi Polacco are pretty clearly saying that even the modern melodic structure is an invention of of Messi Gerano In parallel to this song, we have its cousin E Parana Something I find really interesting is that the verses in this song are also very commonly improvised And again, the ones that aren't tend to be fairly broad or vague. So here we have two songs, both about Parana, with commonly improvised lines. So what does that say or even suggest about their origins? Well, it actually may give more evidence that they come from a military march. Military call and response march songs have a long history of improvisations from the the caller or the the leader of the, the march song. Perhaps that same attitude about the song has pervaded through its cultural adaptations, which is, in a way, confirmed by Messi uh, story uh, about his adaptation of the song. One surprising finding for me in this research is the relation of another song to this war, Soe Umaita, which I played a little, a little earlier as a bit of a teaser. While researching for this episode and reading about the siege of Umaita, I had a feeling in the back of my mind about that name that I'd kind of heard it before. Uh, this song is one that I've heard many times. Uh, I just played earlier the recording from Baho, but I never really knew what it was about. It's fairly common for words to change in songs like this as they're passed down. Think for example of uh, the different songs about or related to Kajue. But from what I've heard, this is an unmistakable reference to Humaita where many formerly enslaved African people would have fought and died. There's even a version of this song that I'll play at the very end of the episode that explicitly mentions Solano Lopez, Casillas, and and Riachuelo. So now the final question I've been left with is why is this song so popular both in and out of the Capoeira community? I'm sad to say that I really don't have a great answer for this yet, but I have some ideas. First, due to its possible origins as a military march song, it's possible this song has broader cultural relevance, uh, i.e. wasn't strictly confined to Capoeira circles. And I've seen some hints at this, as some comments on Messi Gerano's interview Suggest that the song existed in the party and celebration space prior to Genaro's song about this his version. This, I think, would not be so surprising given how important the Paraguayan War was to Brazil broadly and how adaptable the song is due to its simple and often improvised verses. But at the same time, if this was always a very broadly known song, uh, that had cultural relevance both inside and outside of capoeira i I would expect to see it a lot more in some of the early recordings uh, of uh, of capoeira music so i mentioned already that there's a recording of messi valdemar in 1955 that sings what we can think of as the modern version of this song uh, but the next recording that I find that has the song on it is Messi Moraes in 1996. Um, so that's a huge gap. and there weren't a ton of couple recordings that happen in that, that time period, but there are, you know, a fair number of them. And the absence of that song from those is a little bit suspicious. Um, after the recording of Messi Morais in 1996, there are, of course, some more in the late 90s and the early 2000s, but I think that they, that may be influenced more by another, uh, possible impact, and that's only The Strong. This was the most popular Capoeira movie that has ever existed, and it heavily featured Baranaue and its, its title music and the music used throughout the, um, throughout the movie. Only the Strong had a massive effect on getting global attention to Capoeira, and was even influential to Brazilians both in and outside of Capoeira. This movie came out in 1993, so a few years before uh, Messu Moraes recording in 1996, and it's after that where I start to see more recordings uh, from different groups and different artists that include the song. So. My best guess at this point is that this song had some general cultural appeal and existed at some level in Capoeira through the 1900s. Then, after Only the Strong comes out in 1993, awareness on it exploded and now it becomes the first song even non-capoeiristas associate with the art. If that is the case, that's a pretty incredible impact this movie had on Capoeira culture not only did it generate massive attention to the art and inspired tons of brazilians and non-brazilian capoeiristas alike it also changed the course of capoeira song meta to think that an american-made movie about a brazilian cultural art could actually change even the way that that cultural art is practiced for people within the art is is pretty staggering um It's not something that I would have expected to see, even though when you talk to a lot of people who have, you know, 15, 20 years of experience in Capoeira, especially in the States, a lot of them started because of only the strong. So that one movie from 1993 has had huge and lasting impacts on the art all the way through today. But again, as I've been talking about through the rest of the course of this episode, and like I always talk about in all of these, if you have other stories or other ideas of why Paranaue has so much cultural power, uh, please do share them with me. I would love to collect more context, more ideas about the origins of this kind of Musical cultural movement in Capoeira to help complete the picture that I have and the picture that I'm I'm trying to share with people here so Please send me whatever ideas you have and and we'll we can we can keep the dialogue going on this song So that brings us to the end of our of our narrative today and to to kind of summarize the Paraguayan war was an incredibly complicated conflict uh, in a very politically unstable and developing uh, continent of South America, and it heavily influenced the development of the nations there, uh, and also the lives of the Afro-Brazilians who were recruited into the war basically forever. This conflict is a huge contributor to both the beginning of the Brazilian Republic and the end of slavery in Brazil. And because it involves so many of the Afro-Brazilian population, has a lasting effect on their oral traditions and their musical culture going forward into Capoeira to today. It's not very clear to me at this point where the modern interpretation of Paranaue comes from though there's some stories that we've collected but nevertheless i think that the importance of the conflict and a real boost from only the strong skyrocketed this this song into relevance and it remains the most popular capoeira song to both capoeirisis and non capuris alike so i definitely I definitely learned some surprising things through the course of this research. I honestly expected this to be one of the easier uh, episodes to get through because I figured, oh, everybody knows Paranaue. You know, it's about a conflict that uh, Afro-Brazilians were involved in. Um, I really didn't expect it to get as complicated as it was. Um, And that's kind of the beautiful thing about a lot of these research projects is that in the writing of them, they they take on a life of their own. But I I continue to be struck by the incredible impact that, at least from my own interpretation, that only the strong had on the development of Kapwa culture, and it really makes me wonder what other future uh, pieces of media might also have similar effects on the on the art, whether it's another a Focus movie or another a Focus video game or popular music it's clear now that these pieces of media can have massive impacts on the artists as a whole so who knows what the next piece of media might do so that will that will bring us to the end of today's episode um, again I really enjoyed getting back into this, really sinking my teeth into a new topic and I'm looking forward to keeping this going. Though of course, uh, at a slower pace because of my own responsibilities have have increased. But if you have any questions, if there are other topics that you'd like to see covered, please don't hesitate to shoot me an email. All my contact info is going to be in the, the description of the episode. I would love to hear from you folks. Um, I do appreciate all the messages that come through, even though sometimes it takes me some time to get back to everybody. Um, It really helps me a lot. So please don't hesitate to reach out. And with that, thanks for listening all the way to the end. And I'll be back before, at least before the end of the year, with another episode.